0: Shalom, and welcome to In The Beginning. My name is Shmuel Bowman, and I am a Torah scribe. Today is Yom HaShoah, Holocaust Remembrance Day. At 10 a.m. this morning, sirens blared across Israel. No, it wasn't to alert us to incoming rocket attacks, thank God. It was for us to stand at attention, in silence, for one minute to recall the greatest, most horrific tragedy of the Jewish people. Uh, people driving their cars stopped and stood at attention, images of people on the highway just standing uh, and in silence. I was in a, a grocery store uh, shopping and by my shopping cart in an aisle between breakfast cereals and vegetables I stood at attention with all the other shoppers and and staff there. And so on this day, I'd like to give honor to it by reading to you a story from the book I Am a Holocaust Torah, the story of the saving of 1,564 Torahs stolen by the Nazis by Rabbi Alex J. Goldman. As an introduction, the Holocaust began on November 9th, 1938, when the Nazis in Germany began to destroy the Jewish community. The night is called Kristallnacht, which means the night of glass or the night of broken glass. Synagogues were bombed and burned. Jewish books, prayer books and Talmuds were thrown into huge bonfires. Many valuable religious objects were carried away and Jewish owned stores were looted. The Holocaust spread to every country in Europe. Ghettos and concentration camps were established where hundreds of thousands of Jews were sent to die. Six million Jews died during the years of the Holocaust. The story of IMA Holocaust Torah began in Czechoslovakia. The, Nazi, the Nazis took over the country. They roared into smaller states like Morovia and Bohemia, destroying synagogues and carrying torahs and torah adornments such as the crowns breastplates and mantles back to prague the country's capital by 1944 the 1564 torahs and many adornments had been gathered the war ended in 1945 but the torahs remained in prague forgotten 20 years later in 1964 an english art dealer negotiated with the czech authorities to take the torahs out of the country to london An English-Jewish philanthropist paid all the expenses for the transfer. The Torahs were brought to Westminster Synagogue and examined by Torah scribes, sofrim, both those fit for use, or kosher, which means that they could be read from, and those unfit for use, or non-kosher, would be sent to synagogues and other institutions that asked for them. They would be sent only on loan, the Torahs would not be sold because they belong to the Jewish people. More than 1,000 Torahs have found homes throughout the world. Those that remain are part of a permanent exhibit at the Czech Memorial Scroll Center in Kent House of Westminster Synagogue in London. IMA Holocaust Torah is a historic and dramatic story of the 1,564 Torahs through the mind, heart, and words of a Torah. Es mir schön janke la mein Schneider Die egalach die schwarzinke macht zu Ayngele was hoch und allets singen da Muss noch di mame singen nei lulu Ayngele was hoch und allets singen da I am a Torah, not very large or small, medium-sized. Some Torahs are new, fresh and clean, just recently prepared from sheepskin for writing on by a scribe who is called a sofer, fresh and clean. A sofer is a specialist, a religious man who has studied all the laws of how and with what to write a Torah, what tools to use, the kind of ink and how it is prepared, the kind of parchment to use or not to use, the string or gut used to tie the folios together and the quill with which to actually write the words. He also has to know about the columns, how many, how to begin each one, the spaces and the precise number of letters on each line. Some Torahs are old, prepared years, often centuries ago, in different countries and continents. Some were written in Israel, where there are special schools for Sofram. I am very, very old. I was very tired. Now I am alive again. Some Torahs are more handsome than others, depending on the script created by the sensitive, loving, religious hand that carefully and lovingly stroked the letters onto the parchment. I used to be handsome, no more. Now I have scars, burns, tears. Part of me is waterlogged. I was not kept dry. You see, I'm a Holocaust Torah, old and battered, but still holy. I come from Prague, Czechoslovakia, where I spent 20 years after the Nazis kidnapped and captured me from my hometown, Kosovo Hora. Kosovo Hora about 25 miles from Prague, was like many towns and villages in Bohemia and Morovia, very small. In 1570, 400 years ago, there were only two Jewish families there. A hundred years later, there were 18 or high Jewish families. This meant that a synagogue had to be built and a cemetery established. There had to be a rabbi, Chazan, Shochet, Mohel, and Sofer who would serve the small Jewish community. We were fortunate because Reb David, a handsome man with fiery blue eyes and a beautiful black beard, was a very gentleman. His very act was one of love and kindness. When he chanted, his voice rang melodically through throughout the small wooden synagogue, thrilling the congregation, making the people feel very good. When he spoke from the pulpit, his message was always inspiring. He did not chastise, reprimand or insult anyone. When he conducted a circumcision, which was not often because of the size of our community, he performed the mitzvah with such love that the parents of the infant boy were not anxious as he brought the child into the covenant of Abraham. When Reb chanted from the Torah on Shabbat and holidays, he enunciated each word clearly. When he corrected a Torah, as when a letter could no longer be read clearly he could see in his we could see in his eyes and hand the spirit of god guiding him we watched fascinated as he held the goose quill in his warm soft hand dipped it into the ink he had prepared himself stretched out his arm bent over the parchment his eyes intent prayers quivering on his lips he urged the quill to create the hebrew letters when the community decided to write a complete new torah which became me he carefully selected the parchment and ascertained its resilience and texture before his excited eyes smiled yes so i was born I remember the first time I felt myself almost literally moved and touched developing. It was the day after Simchat Torah. There was great excitement in the air as every member of the community came to the synagogue. Looking like a prophet, Reb David sat in front of a table on the pulpit. A large talit enveloped his broad shoulders. The elders stood around him waiting. Women in tear, with tears in their eyes watched from the gallery. Children sensed that something great was going to happen. Rabdavid nodded that he was ready to begin, to begin with the word Bereshit in the beginning. His hand trembled. I could feel him quiver as he drew the rounded letter bet upon me. I could hear heavy breathing and feel the relaxation when someone began to sing Simon tov, un tov May this be a good sign. Good luck. Everyone joined in. I, a new Torah, was begun. I was on my way. Rab David wrote a few more words on me and the celebration erupted in joyous frenzy. Every day Rabdavid spent a limited number of hours writing the Torah. He had to comply with Jewish law, and there are hundreds of laws about the writing of a Torah: the appropriate materials, attitude, concentration, even feeling. Rabdavid considered this a very serious mitzvah. Each day as we as he progressed, he proudly showed off his work. People nodded and smiled until the last day when all was finished except for the last few words. This meant another celebration called *siyum* conclusion, when leaders of the community were given the honor of writing a letter or word under Reb David's careful and trained scrutiny. When Reb David wrote the last word of the letter Yisrael, Israel, the celebration exploded and happiness was visible on everyone's face. No one held back the joy. A Torah, God's unique gift to the Jewish people, was finished. I was born. I was a full-fledged Torah, complete, handsome, beautiful, and proud. I shared that pride every Shabbat and every Monday and Thursday when the Torah is read and each one called touches me with a tallit. When I heard the chanting in loud, strong voices of the blessing of the ages, I could hardly contain myself. I looked forward to every Shabbat just to confirm my importance. I was the center of their lives. Even when I was placed in the Holy Ark, it was dark. I could hear the people praying. I could hear Reb David preaching and talking about me. My lines, my words, my paragraphs, my stories, and my ideas. It felt good. Our community grew. More Jewish people moved in. Reb David had to write another Torah. I did not mind. I was the first, the bechor. This was honor enough for me. Over the years, Jewish people in small towns nearby arranged to spend Shabbat in Kosovo Hora, and we grew and grew. Our little community remained strong and with other rabbis following Reb David and his successors. We were blessed with each rabbi who led us through the phases of Jewish life. Changes were made. People celebrated weddings and bar mitzvahs and the birth of children. My Torah colleagues and I remained the same. We never changed. Once in a while, I could feel a sofer, a Torah scribe, opening me and looking at me and my thousands of letters to confirm that I was perfect, readable, chantable. The reading of me, the Torah, had to be perfect, without fault or blemish. I tried to remain still in the Holy Ark so as not to rub out my letters. I was happy. I was protected by a wrapper that held me tight and straight. An embroidered dress, cut and prepared by the women, kept me warm. I remember the women describing the pattern on this dress. Two lions of Judah surrounded and protecting the Ten Commandments. Above the letters was a keter, or crown. Then suddenly everything changed. We began to hear rumors about Jews i had experienced this kind of thing in the 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries. But in the 20th century, it was hard to believe. But beginning in the late 30s, we heard, we heard that Germans, who called themselves Nazis, had decided to cleanse our beloved country of Jews. We heard about Kristallnacht, wherein the synagogues in Germany were set afire, along with many books, Bibles, prayer books, and Talmuds. The rumors persisted. We heard predictions that no one would survive. Every Jew would be killed or exiled. Not even small towns would be exempted. In nearby villages like Zivost, detention camps were set up. And a memorial service was held in Kosovahora after the rabbi heard that a mass grave in Obamvince now held the corpses of 82 prisoners who had been in a railroad transport. When I was taken from the ark, carried and placed on the table to be read, I heard the news of the day. There was a lot of talk about escaping to the United States, to England, or even China. I understood that many families were making plans to escape. One of the issues I heard people talking about was what to do with the synagogue. They agreed that while the synagogue was a holy place of prayer, it was not as important as the Torah's. Synagogues could be destroyed and rebuilt, but Torahs, if defiled, remained defiled. So plans were made, I heard them while on the Torah table, to stealthily take us out one night after dark to other communities across the borders and into Russia or Poland. I was frightened. I did not want to be hurt. I was, after all, God's gift to the Jewish people. The Nazis, who made Czechoslovakia a protectorate, quickly understood that something was going on one night as darkness fell a company of nazis young blonde men in uniforms swastikas on their shirts and the arms of their jackets swept into kosovara they had known where the synagogue and torahs were i could feel terror in my letters and spaces when the arc doors were flung open and two strong firm hands grabbed me as if as if i were some unholy object i pulled and pulled me out of my comfortable berth. I called out, you can't do this to me. I am a Torah, I am God's treasure, but no one heard me. Here, one soldier commanded another, here, take this, put it in the trunk. There must be others. I was furious, calling me it? I was taken out and almost thrown under the floor of the truck. I was bruised, I know, but I controlled myself. In minutes, four or five other Torahs joined me. We all looked at each other in disbelief. How dare they, I asked. My friend shushed me. Be careful, or they'll kill us, cut us up. We bounced up and down on the van floor as we traversed the bumpy road. The crowns and breastplates, which had been thrown into the trunk, clanked, making a lot of noise. We were convinced that these soldiers were evil men. What have we ever done to them? The journey took an hour or so, whereupon the four or five of us were again picked up. I couldn't see clearly, but before I knew it, after a jarring walk on hard concrete, I was thrown down on a, onto a hard bench. My friends, the other Torah schools, felt the same way. Such disrespect, such dishonor. Shame, shame. We could hear a heavy door bang. Then it was dark. Dank. We shivered. We wondered if, if we would be saved. Would God hear our cry? every day every morning all day long we asked these questions again and again no answer came we became accustomed to the darkness and dankness we talked even as we lay on our sides we told each other stories that were written on us of abraham isaac and jacob of sarah rebecca rachel and leah and of joseph we repeated the stories of moses of the crossing of the red sea of the ten commandments We took turns reminding ourselves of the wonderful messages in the Torah about a loving God, about loving one's neighbor and helping people, and about our longing for the promised land. This constant dialogue kept us hopeful. We didn't realize that 20 years had passed. now 1964 according to my calculations we had slept so long then suddenly we began to hear voices what was going on were we going to be remembered after all these years the voices sounded closer and closer i could hear english a clipped english accent i had never heard this accent but i knew it was different was this a new breed new jews were the old jews i'd known no longer interested or concerned? no longer alive. We stretched our wooden holders like ears to hear a bit, a morsel perhaps. As the mumbled and muffled voices became clear, we heard someone say that there were 1,564 of us, 1,564 Torahs. We had not known the number, only that we were all packed together. For warmth, I'd thought. I could not even remember that so many had been squeezed in with us. During our captivity, it had become increasingly difficult to think. Now it was hard to remember. I thought, God, so many of us? Does this mean that many small towns like ours were destroyed? What happened to all the rabbis and cantors and scribes and Jews? We touched each other to spread the news. At one point, one evening, we all cried. Do you know what it is to hear 1,564 Torahs cry at once? It was a symphony of weeping. We waited. Hope through tears became our emotion and prayer. One day I felt light. Yes, it was light. I tried to shield the brightness, but I wanted to see the light. The light I, I had been dreaming of for 20 years. I saw two men looking at us. I nudged the other Torahs. Hey there, one man said. Here they are, one man said. His accent was Czech. After a pause, the other man commented, Incredible! They look so forlorn, packed like sardines. He turned around, and we heard him crying. We were touched. He's a friend, I whispered. My friend touched me, saying, Yes, yes, he's a friend. It was quiet for a few moments, but it felt like an eternity. The weeping man turned around and said to the Czech, Yes, we will take them, all of them. We will fix them up, correct them, wash them, ready them for their destined role. It will take time, but we are committed. All of them, the Czech asked? Yes, all. None will remain. We will take them to England, to London. We have a friend who says he will he will pay whatever it costs to transport them. He only insisted that these Torahs, after their wounds are healed, must never be sold, They will be sent around the world to synagogues and other institutions as memorials of the Holocaust. The world will learn again that Torahs cannot be destroyed. We could hardly contain our excitement. God, I cried, when? The man did not answer. He looked at all of us, then at me. We could see tears in his eyes. We knew that the time of our exile was over. We jostled each other. We laughed and we wept. Time was no longer important. We could be patient now and wait. Time passed. In a month, we counted, early one evening, we heard many, many feet shuffling by. Something was happening, something big and important. Then it happened. The door opened wide. It was removed, and we could hear the rusty hinges breaking. It was suddenly so bright that our, eye, that our eyes hurt, but we did not mind, for it was the light of hope. Led by a man who reminded me of Reb David, eight or nine people entered the room. The leader looked at us and grabbed his heart as if he was suddenly feeling a sharp pain. He breathed deeply for a few moments, frozen in his tracks. He could not move. Recovering, his voice shaking, he ordered, take them slowly, one at a time, wrap each one in a new cloth, and gently, please, please, gently place them in the lorries, in the trucks. Careful now, they are precious. We waited. I wait. Someone slips his hands under me and slowly raises me up and out. God, I am moving. The air seems so clean. My letters and spaces dry out quickly. I feel myself being transported out of confinement along a path downstairs through double doors, eased onto a small base and covered with a blanket. I remember the number 1564. How long will I have to wait? No matter. A little more, a little more time. Will not matter. Where are my crown, my yad? My I call. Then I hear clanging. I smile. It will take days before we are prepared for the trip to... Where, had he said? England? Where was England? It did not matter. We were free. Free at last. Free at last. Tired and exhausted, we slept during the journey, which took a few days. I remember as we were moved into another lorry, another truck, seeing the date, February 7th, 1964. The streets were wide and clean. Parks were covered with snow. We heard rain trickling, fresh water, but we did not become wet. It was refreshing to hear the patter of rain as if we were being washed and cleansed. The lorry stopped. Are we here? Where is here? We see a large imposing old building. I see the words, Kent House. Kent House? I asked my neighbor. He shrugs his shoulders. Other words appear on a plaque on the side of the beautiful building. Since I am a creation of words, I make out the words. Westminster Synagogue, Knightsbridge, London. It looks so different from the little wooden synagogue I remember in Kosovahara. The little synagogue that had been the center of a town of 25 houses. Again, we are carried one by one. I am second this time. I do not mind. I feel like I am coming home. A temporary home, perhaps, but home nonetheless. I sense myself being lifted, raised high, and carried. I am laid down slowly, carefully. Soon, I feel rested. It is dry and bright, and we are all together, on different levels, but together, close. In front of me, I see a number. What is this number? Is it like the tattooed numbers on the arms of Holocaust survivors? I hear a woman's voice explain, Each Torah has a number on its Eitz heim. Or wooden holder which corresponds to the number on the on the shelf this is how we identify each one we will study each Torah and find out where it comes from my number is 1272 matching the number on the shelf my shelf my dry clean shelf my home at least for now which I happily share with others it does not take long for people to begin visiting they look at us smile and occasionally shed a tear. Each of us is taken up individually. I can feel myself being lifted. I look up and, I, and see a distinguished looking gentle faced man with a beard and head covering staring at me. I feel him carrying me. It hurts to be moved. My whole body feels like it is tearing. After all, I've been cramped and bound for 20 years. But the man is very careful. He moves ever so slowly and lays me down on a long table. His soft hands open me. He looks and ponders from the first column on the right side to the other columns. I can see his eyes searching. I see his face turn white. What is it? I ask. He does not hear me. Another man approaches. He's been hurt, Chaim. This man also examines me and he says, cut a little torn, but I think we can fix him up. Heal him. He will be kosher. Some synagogue will be able to read from him. Yes, yes, I am sure. I cry, thank God, I will be whole again. I look at my neighbor, who is a little taller than me. He is on a nearby table. His tears are flowing. They cannot correct me, he says tearfully. I've been damaged too much. They told me, I mean, they said to each other, that I will be a symbol of memorial, of remembering, like a Kaddish. That I will be placed in a special display case where people can look at me and remember the six million of our people who were killed. I am glad, I say. We both will bear witness for our people. Who knows where we will be sent? I'm sure I'm not going back to Kosovo Hora. I am sure Kosovo Hora no longer exists. We will be sent to synagogues in other countries all over the world, each of us separately. Two months pass. I am at peace. I am full of hope. I hear people approaching our room. I am as excited as I have ever been. I feel something deep in my heart and on my parchment. My words are bouncing. The dots and letters jumping with joy. What can it be, I wonder? The door opens. I look hard and see a man who looks like a rabbi. He doesn't have a beard like Reb Dovid, but he looks like a rabbi. His face is clean-shaven and round, his cheeks ruddy. He's wearing a beautiful, colorful kippah. His eyes are searching. I can see his chest moving. The woman who has entered with him is a handsome woman, tall and dignified with peppered hair, swept back into a bun. She points to me. This one is from Kosovo Hora, a little town not far from Prague. He was born, I hear the words, about 300 years ago. He has been through so much, so many generations, held by so many, touched by men, women, and children. He's a treasure. A priceless treasure. His number is 1,272. Her companions look at me, then back to her, and says, Yes, yes, may I take this Torah with me? Now? He waits. Yes, you may take this Torah with you to your synagogue. But remember, it belongs to the Jewish people, like all the others. You will look at this Torah and remember our faith and our heritage, and our people will live. Always remember the parchment may burn, but the letters of the Torah can never be destroyed. They are part of God, and God cannot be destroyed. Nervously, the young rabbi picks me up. He embraces me, kisses me, and holds me tight. I can feel his heart beating and his fingers and hands quivering and moist. Inside, I feel myself crying. The rabbi looks at the woman, his eyes tearing, and says, the Torah is crying tears of joy. Please join me every week for new ideas, and uh, let's share these secrets together. Shalom, I'm Shmuel Bowman. The Beginning is produced by Sacred Scrolls. You can subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, or Amazon Music. If you have any questions or comments, please be in touch through our website at sacredscrolls.net. Thank you for listening.